Hebrews 2. And looking to next week, Lord willing, we gather together. Uh, We, just so you know, as of now, we're going to have a shorter section, and that will be chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, ending in verse 6. So shorter section next week, Lord willing. Um, before, before I do this, before we look at Hebrews, I do want to, uh, take a look at this week's catechism question on the back of the bulletin. And if you don't have it with you, that's okay. I'll, I'll read it. Um, I'll read it out to us. So question seven, what are the decrees of God? What are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his own will, by which, for his own glory, he has foreordained whatever comes to pass. Now, put your thumb in Hebrews and look at Ephesians 1. Look at the verse that went along with this uh, question. Ephesians 1 Sorry, I forgot. I wanted to look at this too. Because it'll kind of help us a little bit later. Ephesians 1, verse 11. So again, what are the decrees of God? It's it's the, the decrees of God are His eternal purpose, according to the counsel of His own will, by which for His own glory He has foreordained whatever comes to pass. So Ephesians 1, 11 says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. All right, students, who was here Wednesday, we were talking about God's will, and what adjective did we use to describe it? It starts with a P. Perfect. God God is perfect. God's will is perfect. Now let's read it again. Especially verse 11. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. All right. Now I got another one to look at. Go to Isaiah Isaiah 46. Verse 8. This is one of those verses, this is one of those passages to put in your back pocket just to always have and remember. And if you... It's, that's fitting because the first word in verse 8 says, Remember. Isaiah 46, verse 8 through 11. Remember this and stand firm. So, okay. Recall to mind, you transgressor. So, he's being very specific about what we are. That's correct, a transgressor. Remember the former things of old. For I am God 
All right, so now he's verifying who he is. He's God, supreme ruler. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me. Okay, what does this God do? The supreme ruler, there's no one like him. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning. We're talking about time, which God also created. So declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. So he is God. There is none like him. He declares the beginning and the end and all things in between, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, I will bring it to pass, I have purposed, and I will do it. And all that he does, this is out of the verse, all that he does is good. Now, again, students, what's the difference between good and perfect? Do you remember what good meant? It's not less than perfect, but good. when God does all things good, it doesn't mean like, oh, this is good, it's not great. It means he does it morally right and just. Like, he is a good person. God is good. There is no evil in him. In his will, there is no evil or wickedness in his will. His counsels, all that he calls and decrees are good, even if we cannot understand them, just like... Uh, say, the cross of Christ, which seems like such an evil, wicked thing for God to decree, but yet we know from Roman, or from Acts 2 that he decreed it uh, before it had ever happened. All right. Now, let's go ahead and get back to Hebrews 2. And just a quick, a quick recap of the morning. Um, let's think about the, the short summary statement we had for our passage. Um, so the title was Bringing Many Sons to Glory. That's kind of uh, the, the point of the passage, um, but more, a little bit more detailed. In order to bring many sons to glory, the Son of Glory the Son of God, had to lower himself from glory and become like those whom he was helping by raising them to glory by his death. And so then we considered, what does it mean for God to raise or to bring many sons to glory? And we, we kind of got down to it as restoring that which was lost uh, at the fall when Adam was ruler and had dominion over all the earth, that rule and dominion given to him by God himself. But in his sin, he was removed as ruler and had become a slave now to death and sin. And so in Christ, the one whom God sends, God establishes man who has been made a slave to death by sin and is now under the angels, God will reestablish them over the angels, usher them into his presence, into his glory for all eternity, where they will rule and reign with Christ 
in the physical new world in a physical new body where death and sin have no existence. That is what it means to be brought into glory. And then how did he do it? He did it by sending his son. Now, I, I'll use, I've used a word. I don't know if I've used it much, but I, I like to use it. And so I want to define it before you before I continue to use it. The son condescended. Condescended, sorry, not condescended. Condescended. So if you were in an argument with somebody and they start talking down to you, you would say you are being very condescending, right? That's not a good thing. Well, there's another way of using that word, which kind of is similar to that same idea, that someone can condescend, condescend. It would be someone voluntarily uh, lowering themselves from their position of authority. That's what the son did. He condescended. He, he did not just come down to earth, but he left his position of authority. Now, he, we must be careful he never stopped being the son of God. He always was, but he took on flesh. And in doing that, he did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to. So he condescended from his throne from glory. Uh, he left his high rank. And not only did he come down and condescend down to be human, but he took on death. And in taking on death, he set us free from death. He satisfied the wrath of God, and he is our high priest, our helper, from today uh, until all eternity. That is bringing many sons to glory. So the third point we didn't get to, and I want to get through it quickly, is who. So we did what, how, and now who. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through verses... 10 through basically the rest of the chapter, and we're going to pick out some, some descriptions of the who after he's stated that he's bringing many sons to glory. So, and I, we're going to jump around and find a few passages to help us with these categories, okay? But we're really going to find that a lot of this is found in John 17, which I was really surprised to see. Like, I knew all that stuff was there, but to see the things that are going to be said in Hebrews 2 and then find them in John 17 in some similar fashion was really, it was really encouraging for my heart. And I've noticed a lot of similarities. This is kind of a side note. I've noticed a lot of similarities with the theology of the first two chapters of Hebrews and the theology of John. So we're all really familiar. I mean, a lot of people say that you see a lot of Paul's theology in here. But we've, we've basically gone through the first chapter of John and how we have unfolded the first two chapters of Hebrews. Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, Jesus it took on flesh. You know, that's the basic principle for the first 18, 20 verses of, of John chapter 1, which is what we've established here in Hebrews chapter 1 and chapter 2 as well. All right, so who? Who are these sons? Let's look at 10. And let's read down and we'll catch them as we see them. Okay, for it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, 
should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So we we'll just stop there for a second. We have to see that it was fitting that that the one who was going to be the founder or author or even captain of salvation. And when I say captain, it's more as like leader that he had to, it was fitting, he had to be made the perfect founder or captain of the many sons through suffering. You cannot, it is impossible to separate, it's impossible to separate the Savior of mankind from suffering. Now we could spend days on that. And we talked about it a few weeks ago before Palm Sunday about Jesus talking about how he must suffer and die. Um, but the, the idea, especially in verses 10 through 18, is that the Savior, the, the, um, the Son, isn't just saving them, but he's helping them. Now, what, how, how do you get better help from someone who understands what you're going through or someone who does not understand what you're going through? It's a very simple answer, right? And, and so if you see it, for it was fitting that for whom and by whom all things exist and bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, that, I, don't, I don't think that that perfect means he became perfect as in sinless. But that he became the perfect founder of their salvation. He became the perfect captain of their salvation because he has suffered as they have. He understands, and we'll see this in Hebrews 4, uh, he, he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses as one in every respect has been tempted as we have been tempted, tempted yet without sin. And so then you know what the next exhortation is for you after that? Seek help from him. Seek help from him because he is able to help you because he has been in your place. That is why he condescended. But there's also he also condescended to take on death. And so we can't, it, it, to just simplify Jesus, Jesus coming, isn't enough, or Jesus just coming to die isn't enough. But even the reason why he suffered unto death is so important for our salvation. And we could go on and on about this, but I just wanted to point that out. Verse 11, for he who sanctifies, we're talking about Jesus, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. So I've got two things about the who in this one verse. First off, do we remember what sanctified means? Now we can probably talk about it in a couple of different fashions. But in its sense here, we're talking just straightforward about being separated from. So the the one who the one who separates you or pulls you out of and then in that same fashion is making you holy. When you are sanctified, you're removed from and made holy because what is the definition of holy? not being like others. So God is, is, is the whole, God is holy, 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 because as we read in Isaiah 46, what do he say? There is none like me. 
So when Jesus, the one who sanctifies, the one who does this, when he pulls us out of the world and into his body, what is he doing? He is making us unlike everyone else and making us unlike or unto him, bringing us into him. So as Christ is holy and he brings us out of the world and into him, he is making us holy as he is holy. He is sanctifying us. So the first thing that we see about the sons who are brought to glory is that they are sanctified and they are being sanctified. So what does that mean for you? That means if you look like the world, you might not be being brought unto, the, unto glory. You might not be one of these sons because that is why God has saved you. God saves you for you to glorify his son. The only way to glorify his son is for you to be like him. If you continue to be like the world, you are not showing any. You're not giving any glory to the son. So bringing many sons to glory, who are the sons? They're the ones who are being sanctified by the sanctifier, the savior. Now it says that the, the one who sanctifies and the, one who, the ones who are sanctified all have one source or all come from one origin. Now, this, you can look and take this from two different perspectives, and I'm going to take it from both because I think it's both true. So let's just say Jesus and the sons whom he are sanctifying, they all are alike. Well, I've already just expressed to you it's because he has brought them to him. But I think we can look at it from two perspectives. Jesus is like those whom he is saving because we've made this clear because he's come down to be like them. Correct? He has taken on flesh. Uh, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So the one who sanctifies and those whom are being sanctified or have been sanctified are all from the same mold. And what would that be? Adam, right? We all come... Jesus came from Adam. Did y'all know? He came from Adam. But he also came from God. So here's the other aspect of those whom Jesus... or Jesus and those whom he are sanctifying are of one source. Number one, Adam. Number two, God. Jesus is truly God and truly man. He comes from Adam and he comes from uh, God. He has two sources. And for those who are being sanctified, for the sons that are being brought unto glory, you now have two sources. If you are truly a son or daughter who are being brought to glory, you are a son and daughter of Adam and in your new birth, you are now a son and daughter of God. So, the one, the, the one source that you are connected to Jesus is actually two sources, the flesh and the spirit. The flesh and the spirit. That doesn't, we're not trying to, we're not trying to say, oh, the flesh, we're not trying to tout it, but we're saying he has been like you. This is kind of what I've been emphasizing over and over again. 
but he came like you. He became like you in order to make you like him. He became like you in the flesh in order that he can make you like him in the spirit. And that takes one thing, being born again. That is something that happens of the spirit and only of the spirit. Let's look at... um, Let's look at John. So here's here's more for like I said of John, John 1. Look at verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own people did not uh, receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, we're going to see the word children again in Hebrews. Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who are children of God are born of God. And if you, as we go back, you can stop at John 3 and see what Jesus says. In verse 3, Jesus answers Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? So I, I started this, this evening talking about the physical, about how God is going to save this physical world and our physical bodies. But right now, Jesus is concerned with the spiritual. And Nicodemus, he's only looking at the physical. And he says, okay, I, I got to be born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Now, as you're going back to Hebrews 2, go ahead and go back to Hebrews 2. I'm going to read another passage for you. And this also comes from John, but this is in his, in his first epistle. Hear this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what, will, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. And I missed verse 29. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. So, the many sons who are being brought unto glory uh, are being, or have been and are being sanctified... 
and they are of the same source or oneness with Christ as he has become flesh like them in order to make them spirit like him. But then look at, ver- at as we finish verse 11 in Hebrews 2, it says, This is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Brothers. The many sons of glory are brothers to Jesus. Now, I can't, we, we underestimate that relationship of Jesus as your elder brother. Because apart from your, if you have, let's just talk about it in a physical sense. If you have, you know, parents and an older brother, obviously your parents are going to be very significant. But big brother is also really significant. The elder brother relationship is huge. But not just relationally, but the elder brother in Jewish history is typically, as we would think of, the firstborn, right? The one, the one whom in the inheritance comes. And what did we read in Romans 8? That we are co-heirs with Christ, with our elder brother. So he is not ashamed to call us brother. Now that's significant to use, I don't remember what hymn it is, to think of us as but worms. I don't remember what hymn calls us worms. I think it's a John Newton hymn. And then for the Son of God to look at us in that state and not be ashamed to call us brother. Well, it, it goes back to because he has condescended in order to be like us, in order to save us, but yet also because we have been brought into him, into the family of God. And as we'll see, not just brothers, look, uh, verse 12 says, saying, so we go back to an Old Testament passage saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in you. And again, Another quotation out of the Psalms. Behold, I... I'm sorry, that's not out of the Psalms. That's out of Isaiah. Behold, I and the children God has given me. So there, Jesus says, Behold, I and the children God has given me. The sons being brought into glory are brothers to Christ and children of God. Children of God. Okay, so... We've got to think about this for a second. We've got to think about this second. Y'all, you might be familiar with this quotation in, at the end of 13 if, we've been, if you've been in Sunday school as we've gone through Isaiah. Because Isaiah 8 is, this, is what is being quoted here. When God calls, uh, or when, when Jesus is quoted saying that the many sons of glory are children of God, in Isaiah 8, just to refresh our memory, you, uh, you don't have to turn there. Um, I'm just using it as a guide here. In Isaiah 8, uh, the judgment of Israel is being pronounced, um, being made known as uh, the Assyrian army is coming at them. And God is judging them. But, but God has not left them nor forsaken his people his chosen people, those, those whom he loves, Israel. And he, in, 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 as, as a lot happens in the Old Testament, there is a, 
a, usually a, a direct fulfillment of what's spoken by God, but also a future fulfillment of, what might, of what's being spoken by God. And we see as a sign of hope for Israel as they're looking down the barrel of judgment that, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And so in that moment, that was a sign of hope for Israel. But the Holy Spirit has told this writer or preacher of Hebrews that says, we're just not talking about then, but we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about Jesus and all the sons and daughters that he's bringing to glory. These are the signs of hope. And Jesus is not afraid to call, not ashamed to call them brothers because they are children of God. Uh, there's, something, there's something else in verse, at the end of verse 13, in, in that last quotation of Hebrew, or I'm sorry, of Isaiah um, 8. And that's the last three words. Behold, I and the children, God has given me. Now, this is so significant. This is so significant. Not only... Why, now, why would, I've, I've sat here all week and I'm thinking, okay, why honestly is, is the son not ashamed to call us brothers? Like, like, I understand he came down. I understand what he's done. But why did he do it? Why did he do it? I understand the purpose of what he was getting at. But what would make him condescend? I think we have something seen here at the end of this passage, this quotation. Behold, I and the children, God has given me. I want you to understand something. And I'm going to be talking in human terms because there's really no other way to describe this. But we have to understand that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have always existed Always in love and fellowship, in wisdom and power, God has always been and always will be. And God has always been and always will be Father, Son, and Spirit. And so you have to think about it. Think about the fellowship, the relationship between these three before creation. Were they just like saying, let's, let's just think of the craziest thing we can think of. Get it rolling and see what happens. Let's create this big expanding universe that no one can even imagine or even find the ends of. Let's create one little planet within that huge universe. Just flip it on its axis. Put some people on there and see what happens. No way. There is no way that the God of the universe started the universe and then walked away. When God said, let there be light. Remember what Isaiah 46 says? He knows the beginning and the end and all things in between. Now, 
Christian, I want you to understand God knew your name before he said, let there be light. The Father in his decree and purpose and will said, these are the names that are in my book. Now, you might question me here and say, well, come on, surely the the Lamb's book of life is open for adjustments, you know. Somebody new comes along. We want to make sure that surely God will put the, the Lamb's book of life was written before light existed. Now, let me read this to you. I wasn't planning on going here, so I hope I can find it. Ah, Revelation 13. As we see the beast coming into verse thir- or chapter 13, verse 7, also it, the beast, was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. <coughs> And authority was given to uh, uh, given uh, given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth. Watch this. Will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. It was written before. He made anything. The Father purposed His sheep. And you know what? His Son said, I'll go purchase them. You want them, Father. I'll pay for them. Okay? So, all that the Father has given the Son... Come to him. Behold, I and the children God has given me. That covenant was made by the Father and the Son before anything happened. And that's why in John 6, Jesus tells them, the the Pharisees, the Jews are saying, you know, talking about this and that. And he goes, well, I understand why you don't believe. No one... No one will come to me unless the Father gives them, draws me, draws them. And whoever the Father has given to me, what does he say? I will not lose one of them. I will. So why, I was just, I'm thinking, why would Jesus, why would the Son condescend and do all this? It's because of his love and fellowship with the Father. And guess what? You might say, well, what about us? Well, welcome. Be quiet and just give thanks. So those who are being brought unto glory have been named and known by the Father from eternity past and given to the Son 
to be purchased by his blood. That is who these people are. And I hope that that is all of you. Now, you might say, well, if my name's not written in a Lamb's Book of Life that was written before the foundations of the world, then I'm just out of luck. Well, no. Not you, no. Do you know what else? The, the other thing, that, that how he describes these many sons being brought unto glory, look at verse 16. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of, of Abraham. Do you want to be helped by the Son? What that says, when it says that, what that means when it says the offspring of Abraham, if you want to be helped by the Son, if you want to be brought unto glory, here's, you don't have to worry about the Lamb's book of life. You just have to be obedient to what Christ says and believe in him. Have faith. That's the offspring of Abraham. All who believe. And to help me explain it better, look at Romans 4. Now this is, this is it. This is how we're finishing here. Well, almost. Uh, Romans 4, starting in 13. Romans 4, 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, well, that's familiar language, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are, be, who are to be the heirs. I'm sorry. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So here's where we get to the, the meat of it. This is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now jump down to verse 22. That is why his, Abraham's faith, was counted to him as righteousness. But the word it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. So here's, here's what I want you to know. If, if you're not sure, if you are one of these many sons and daughters who are brought into glory, and you want to know how to become one, this is it right here. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. To become a son and daughter, 
of God, a brother to Christ, one sanctified, one of the same flesh of, of Christ and the same spirit of Christ, you must believe on Christ. That God put him on the cross for your sin and raised him for your justification to show that you are guiltless, not because you are guiltless, but because he is and you have been united to him in faith. You must believe on Christ and you will be a son and daughter of God, an heir of all things with Christ. So that's the who. That's the who here. Um, But also the last part is the who are still being tempted. If you look at the last verse in 18, you still need help. You need help every day. Every day. As we go through Hebrews, we're going to see a lot of uncomfortable things uh, uncomfortable it's the there's some points in hebrew that's supposed to press upon you to make you actually examine and question your belief not just your belief but also well yeah your belief and if it's if it is there and that you are ready to stand firm in it no matter what happens and it almost will feel like oh you're it's being pretty harsh like and, and all that it brings to you. But from what I've gathered as I've looked through Hebrews, every time there's this warning passage of saying, be warned, be, uh, be concerned, uh, look out, then there's always a follow-up with, oh, don't forget, you have a great high priest. You have someone who is like you, who can sympathize with you, and not only is he like you and can sympathize with you, but he overcame death. He overcame death. And not only that, he rose from the dead. And not only that, right now, he is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, the only place you want your help to actually be. So as we go through this and you see these passages in Hebrews and you're like, I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if I could hold firm. I don't know if I can continue. I don't know, whatever. Remember your great high priest. We are always being tempted. And we always need his help. So go to him daily for help. Okay, let's pray. Father, we give thanks today. Uh, We give thanks today for your perfect decrees. Your perfect will. For your perfect son. And we are so thankful to be brought in to the family, to be named sons and daughters. But God, would you equip us to be those things? Would you encourage us to continue? Would you help us to be a family ourselves for the sake of the glory of Christ among us? We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.